This is recording number 11001 from the Teaching Ministry of Crossroads Community Church in Fairfield, California. It was recorded on Sunday morning, July 29, 2012. This is the 10th message in a study of the Bible's book of Hebrews. This message by Randy Bolt is titled, The Way of Discipline. Hebrews chapter 12, and we are going to um, continue today our study of this book. We're, we're getting close to the finish line. Not that you could ever exhaust any book of the Bible. One of the things I've learned is, you know, over the many years of, of my uh, following Christ and, and as a pastor is that you cannot exhaust this book. And every time... I pass over even uh, very dear passages that I have uh, spent time in over and over again. Every time I will invite the Lord to do so, He will reveal new things. So there's no way we could ever exhaust this book. Uh, but we are coming to the conclusion of our time in it. And we'll finish up next week. But uh, we've been talking about how the book of Hebrews describes... A new and living way that Christ has opened up for us to relationship with Almighty God. And today we're going to be talking about uh, the fact that um, this is the way of discipline. The way of discipline. Now there's a delightful word, isn't it? <laughs> nobody. Nobody likes that word. Maybe theoretically. Maybe if I asked you, you'd say, yeah, yeah, I, I, you know, I like that. Be disciplined. Uh, but you're just lying. I mean, well, right? I mean, because we all know that none of us uh, enjoy the subject of discipline. But I want to say, going into this, I have had this past week, and, you know, I, I began studying, uh, restudying this book, re-engaging with it, you know, months ago now, uh, as we were preparing to, to um, move our way, make our way through this, this book. Uh, but this week, as I was refreshing and going over notes and things like that, I have to say, I have had some very uh, rich uh, times with Jesus, um, uh, just being reminded of his love for me, that he is, he is so in love with me that he disciplines me. That's what we're going to encounter here today. So much so that I, I would find myself... You know, I, I, I am not one who is a gusher. I mean, maybe it seems like it to you guys because there are so many times when I find myself, you know, moved emotionally and tears will come to my eyes even in front of you. But I'm really a pretty, uh, I don't know, a steady Eddie, you know. I, I'm, not, I, I'm not really a very, uh, I don't know, emotionally expressive guy sometimes. Um, but this week I've had ex an experience with the Lord on two specific occasions that I can remember that are unlike anything I've ever experienced in that way. Where And I, and I know some of you who are freer in this area might, might have had this experience before, but where I would just be, you know, uh, even Stephen, steady Eddie, even Stephen. Hey, this is pretty good. I like that. You know, with, the, uh, with my emotions. 
And then the Lord will break in on my thoughts with that sense of his nearness and his love for me that just, it was like, it was like my tear ducts squirted, you know? <laughs> it was like I could not hold them back. It's just a boom. And, I, and then I'm, I'm just moved to, to tears, you know? I've never had that experience before, but, but I, I did this week on at least two separate occasions as I considered these things that we are going to be looking at today. And let's begin reading at verse 3 of chapter 12. And I'll just remind you, last week we ended up at uh, verse 2, where it says, Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. The joy that the Lord, uh, the, the joy that led the Lord to the cross was a joyful expectation of what that would accomplish in our lives and unleash and unloose for us. The joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Now this carries on from that flow. That's why I wanted to just bring you back there for a minute. Verse 3. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. Anybody ever, ever experienced anything that might have made you feel just a little weary or discouraged in your souls? Besides me. He says, consider Jesus. When those things begin to creep upon you, that sense of discouragement or, or weariness or frustration or however you want to describe it, consider Jesus. Verse 4, you have not yet resisted to bloodshed striving against sin. And you have forgotten the ex exhortation which speaks to you as sons. My son, this is the Lord to you. My son, my daughter, maybe that's the way you need to hear it. Either way, this is the Lord speaking to you. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, the discipline of the Lord, the tutorage of the Lord. Nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? I mean, we all have seen it where, you know, children are just sort of left to to do whatever they're going to do and no one is establishing boundaries for them. No one is helping guide them or train them or bring instruction to them. It's a train wreck and a mess. Maybe some of you have, have lived your life out that way or there was no one there for you. That's not the case with God. He loves you. He loves you as a father and so he brings, dis he brings training, discipline, correction, chastening to us. But if you are without chastening, verse 8 says, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. The King James Version, the authorized version, is pretty strong and it says, then you're bastards. If no one is chasing you, if you are not being chastened, disciplined, corrected by the Lord, then you're bastards. But you are not. Because we have a God who loves us so much that he's willing to bring correction and discipline to our lives. Furthermore, we've had human fathers who corrected us and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? 
For they indeed for a few days chastened us as seemed best. And let me just say that as a father and a grandfather, that's all I've ever been able to do is whatever seemed best. That's not, I've never been perfect in anything and especially not in parenting. But our God is perfect. He's perfect in the way he deals with us. For they indeed for a few days chastened us as seemed best to them, but he, he for our profit, that we may be partakers of his holiness. Don't you want to be like him? Don't you want to be like him? Well, that's where discipline comes in. It is loving. The discipline of the Lord is loving. It's because he loves you, dear one. Because you are, the Bible says, an heir. A joint heir with Christ. You are his child. You are a member of the household of the Most High. You are a part, the Bible says, of a royal priesthood. You are princes and princesses in the household of God. Because he loves you. Because he wants for you to experience the full dimension of what that means. To be an heir of a child of God. He's not going to just let you run wild. He's going to train and instruct. And out of love and deep kindness and gentleness. He's going to point the way and encourage you. And correct when needed. Now I know this is tough because we, we live in a culture where you start to mention correction or chastisement or, or get anywhere close to the subject of, of discipline and you already have people's uh, hair standing on end because we have people who abuse parents, who abuse kids. One of the worst things about being a pastor is that you have to wade into these dark, desperate, damaged, broken, hurt places in people's lives where they have been abused by people who should have loved them, who should have corrected them and disciplined them in a, for the right heart. And instead, they have inflicted such torment and pain on our lives that it twists their way to uh, twi- the, the goal, the satanic goal of that is to twist the way they, they see God and the way that they relate to Him. So we have these cultural concepts that discipline is not loving. That discipline equals abuse. That's what we're up against when we bring this subject to the fore. But I, dear one, we're talking about God. We're talking about God. Who everything He ever does for you, everything He, any way that He would ever touch your life, is with the purest love. There is no abuse in that. Nothing to fear. And everything to welcome. 
The scriptural definition of the Greek word here for chastening or discipline or whatever your translation shows there, it's the word paideia. And it means to, to instruct or to train or to correct. It's not to punish. It is not. Let me say it again. It is not to punish. And the divine intentions for his correction are always to express his love for you and to teach you and to train you in the ways of holiness. So, discipline in the family of God is loving. It's also progressive. And what I want you to see about that is that a lot of times when we mention this or bring this subject up, chastening discipline, we think of the extreme end of the, of the process. We go from zero to 60. We think that discipline is about the, the most extreme, severe end of an arc. It's not. The Bible clearly defines for us the way God goes about it, the progressive nature of His discipline in our life. And it begins with instruction. We have a loving Father who carefully instructs us in His ways. You hold there in your lap or in your hands the instructions that God has given us in the ways of holiness. And not only that, But Jesus told his disciples, I got to go so that the Holy Spirit can come and lead you into all truth. He wants to instruct you in the ways of holiness, to guide you in life the way it was meant to be lived. So he teaches us. And parents, take note of this is how God disciplines us. You may want to employ this this in the way you discipline your kids. First, make sure they clearly understand. Sometimes we as parents, we assume our kids know what they're supposed to do. But our God isn't like that. He makes clear. He doesn't make assumptions. He's clear about what He wants and what He, what he wants to see in our lives. And then, instruction is reinforced. There's a passage in, in uh, Isaiah that says... When you reach a crossroad and you don't know which way to go, there'll be a voice behind you saying, this is the way. Remember, this is the way. Walk in it. There's another place that says, in Psalms where he says, I'll guide you with my eye. You know, when you've, my wife has really trained me well. <laughs> and I know, just, just this you know, movement of her eye. I know. <laughs> I know what she wants. I know what she needs. Because she's trained me. <laughs> but with the Lord, it's the same. He, he reinforces his instruction. It's not, it's not like, well, I told you. So, in fact, Jesus demonstrated this when he was um, using parables to instruct the people and his disciples. You know, parables were not meant to confuse people, but to reveal truth. They're, they were stories about 
things that people would understand and he laid them aside truth that they didn't quite yet know so they could bridge from what they do know to what they didn't yet know. And there are times when the disciples would go, I, I still don't get it, Lord. And the Lord said, oh, you don't get it? Well, let me explain. That's the heart of God towards us. He reinforces his instruction to us. And then, if we continue to still walk in a path of disobedience or rebellion to the things that he has shown us, it doesn't jump to the severest forms of discipline or or correction. There is still delayed privilege. The children of Israel... They, they were obstinate on the way to the promised land and just continued over and over again to rebel against the Lord. And even when he brought them right up to the threshold of their promised land and said, go in, have it. This is the land I've promised you. Flows with milk and honey. Everything that your hearts desire, it's all here. They said, oh no, we can't go in there. There's giants there. But we didn't have an exas- we don't have an exasperated God in heaven. He says, Well, then I'm done with you. He said, All right. Go run around the wilderness another forty years and we'll give it another shot. <laughs> right? The promise still remained, though the fulfillment of it was delayed. And even after that, when there's when we continue in rebellion and disobedience, if we just refuse to honor the Lord's will and way in our lives, there is still the potential of privilege being, being denied. Moses, was the Lord said, you have misrepresented me to the people. And you know, leaders are held to a little bit higher standard. He said, Moses, you're not going to get to go in to the promised land. You can see it. I'll take you up on the mountain. I'll, I'll show you from there. But you're not going to get to go in. Moms and dads, have you ever had to deny your children a privilege or a, or a reward? Well, the Lord does that with us too. It's not pleasant or fun, but his goal is not punishment. His goal is to say, please pay attention to what I'm saying. The course you're headed on is one of destruction. It will ruin you. I'm trying to spare you. So, I'm going to have to remove this privilege, this reward. And then, even if we persist in rebellion against him, disregard of his ways, we've come a long way, haven't we, in the, in the arc of God's dis- discipline and correction in our lives? But, but he still loves us so much. At the end of all of that, if we persist in, re- in refusing him, he loves us so much, he will spank us. But that's only out of his love, and it doesn't, it's, it, it isn't first. We fear, so many people fear God. But you, when you read the Bible, and there are times, look, you, you can't deny it. When you read the Bible, there are people in here who got spanked by God. But only after all of this and the, 
the patience of our God who again and again and again uh, and again confronted them and called to them and drew them. It was only when they continued to refuse him that things became severe. So the discipline of God is loving. It is progressive. And it is healing. Verse 11, I should have read this a minute ago. It says, Now no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nobody looking forward to being disciplined by the Lord. Nevertheless, afterward it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness, the healthy, um, salutary, beneficial uh, fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Now verse 12. Therefore, strengthen the hands which hang down and the feeble knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be dislocated but rather be healed. The discipline of God is meant to bring healing to our lives. And I just want to tell you there's a lot of ways to interpret these two verses. And I am tempted to... um, to, uh, deal with it in the way that I originally intended in the way that my notes here uh, outline so marvelously. <laughs> but I'm going to deal with these verses the way the Lord spoke them to me yesterday. One of those tear duck squirting occasions. And I'm going to tell you a story about two suits. The tale of two suits. So sitting up there at my, in my little cubicle up there and going over these notes. And this is how I heard, I read those verses. Therefore strengthen the hands which hang down, the feeble knees, and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be dislocated but rather be healed. And I was just admiring my, my ex, exege, exegetical prowess in the way that I had a you know, outline these notes and just looking forward to being able to wow you with, with that. <laughs> and this is what I heard the Lord say to me. I heard the Lord say, as I read that, strengthen the hands which hang down and the feeble knees. Make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be dislocated. I heard the Lord say, get your hands out of your pockets. Stand up straight, young man. Walk forward into your destiny with the regal bearing of a son of the Most High. That was a word of correction to me. Something I needed to be reminded of. And I was so glad that the Lord was there to discipline me. I've had to have that conversation with my son on a few occasions. Get your hands out of your pockets. Get a belt around those droopy drawers. Act like a son of the Bolt family. Right? And God spoke those, t- those things to me yesterday. It was very personal. I knew what he was talking about. But I was so glad. I have a father, dear ones. I have a father who cares about me. He said, it says, pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God. Lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble. And by this many become defiled. Lest there be any fornicator or profane person like Esau. 
who for one morsel of food sought his, saw, sold his birthright. There's two things described in this, those verses I just uh, read that the Lord was addressing here and I think with me and, I, and maybe with some of you. One has to do with being at peace with, with people. And I just periodically need to be reminded that the little grudges that I hold, the little unforgivenesses that I have tucked away in, in those crevices of my heart, they don't belong in a royal son's life. We are members of the household of God. We do what our Father does. We forgive. We don't hold on to those things. And then it says there that it talks about holiness and, and, and it, uses, it talks about fornication but it refers to um, Esau and I've mentioned this before. Esau was um, a twin brother of Jacob and, uh, he, but he came out of the womb first and so he was, he was the firstborn and as such heir to uh, some significant promises. Um, that were due the firstborn, but he sold them, he traded them away to satisfy the hunger of his flesh. He came in from hunting and he was hungry and, he's, and his brother Jacob had pre pre prepared some stew and he says, hey, I got to have some of that. Jacob says, well, okay, if you sell me your birthright. So forever, Esau has become this... Um, Example of one who was willing to trade away the deeply spiritual inheritance that God wants for each one of us for the momentary pleasures of the flesh, satisfying the flesh. Members of the royal household don't behave that way. That's what the Lord was correcting me with and I believe speaking to some of us today concerning the tale of two suits. I had never thought about this until yesterday. Yesterday morning I was talking to the Men's Institute and I was telling them I had an illustration. I, I shared with them an illustration that I don't know if I can, <laughs> I'm not sure I can bring myself to tell you because might uh, end up, my, my father might get arrested as a result because of the way he disciplined me. And I don't, I say that kind of jokingly but sadly not. Because what he did and disciplined me was he, he, he corrected me. I was veering off course. And he corrected me in such a way that my life turned back uh, on track. And I am grateful to him. Uh, but nowadays, you know, you can't, you can't. It's almost like our hands are tied. We, 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 we can't bring correction to our kids without seeing, seeming as though we are, uh, you know, abusive or whatever. But. Anyway, I was telling them this story, and it had to do with a suit. My mom had made me a, you know, we weren't, we weren't dirt poor or anything, but we still didn't have a lot. My, when I was growing up, my mom made a lot of our clothes, and I've told you this before. One time she made me these pair of red pants, and I had, I was in middle school, and, you know, I, I gained the name Red Butt after that. Not, not a pleasant thing. So that's the context, right? And then she, makes, she made me a brown corduroy suit to, to wear to church. And the day came, I was supposed to wear this to church, and there was no way. 
I am not doing this. And so the tug of war began. My dad, you know, insisting, your mom has put a lot of effort into this. There's nothing wrong with this. This is a nice suit. You're going to look great in it. All of that stuff. No, I'm not wearing that piece of junk, right? You know, it's just this tug of war. Voices are being elevated, you know. And I guess I will go ahead and tell you um, what happened next. You promise you won't report him, right? <laughs> but eventually, I was just so obstinate. I had, ri- ri- and you know, the background is I'm, re- I'm in this, I'm about eighth grade, right? And I'm beginning to drift away from the Lord. I was raised to know Jesus from a very young age. But I was beginning to drift away from him. And I, had, I was beginning to identify with the hippies and all that stuff. And, and it was a, you know, it sounds a little, I can almost joke about it now. But, but it was not a good thing. I w- and, and you know what? There is some way that my dad could, under- he could see that. He could see that this issue over my being willing to submit to the leadership that God had placed in my life, my mom and dad, was critical to my future. And that this, need, this was a time when the line in the sand needed to be drawn. And so my dad, quietly, but <laughs> very firmly, he grabbed me like right about in here, reached through the jacket. I had it on, the suit. Reached through the jacket got a hold of the shirt underneath and ripped the whole thing off my body, left me standing there naked from the waist up, walked out to the car and drove to church with the rest of the family and left me there. Now, I'm sure that wasn't the best way to go to church that day. (laughs) And it probably wasn't the best way to handle the situation. But my life changed after that day. And I didn't ever fear my dad, ever. I, ne- I did not, as I sat there facing, staring down this, what had just happened, there was not one thought of, oh, he just abused me. I cried. I repented. And my life was changed. And it wasn't long after that that I just gave my life to Jesus with full abandon and I've never looked back. Now flash flash forward to, fast forward. I'm getting my metaphors messed up this morning. Fast forward to about 1978 and our family has moved here to the Bay Area to help with a church plant in Danville. And um, so I'm serving on the church staff. At this time in my life, I was a solid believer in Jesus. I was married and I had two kids. And so I was, you know, I was not just a punk, but I was acting like one. A Christian punk. I had, I had long hair and I purposely wore kind of, you know, grunge type clothes and stuff and And I was proud of the fact that I could be a Christian and a hippie. I was was glad to let my freak flag fly. My pastor one day said, Randy, he said, I want you to get in the car and go with me. All right, get in the car. He drove me to Sun Valley Mall. 
and he bought me a suit, a brown suit. A three-piece suit, shoes, belt, tie, socks, the whole shebang. He says, Randy, I want you to wear this every Sunday. And I feel that same thing rising. And I'm, I'm sitting quiet in his car as we're driving home, and I'm thinking, I'm going to loosen this tie, I'm going to roll up the sleeve, I'm going to do something to rebel against this. And the Lord said to me, no, you're not. The Lord had brought this man into my life. And he was using him to correct me. And once I let that go, once I, once I yielded to that, to that strong but firm word, no, you're not. Then I heard the Lord say to me, and there's some other things, son. And he started to talk to me about, about my speech because I, I used a lot of slang and I, I, did, I was careless with the king's language. And the Lord used that phrase with me. He's a king. Now, the English is not, is not the language of heaven. But the Lord was using imagery with me. He said, if you're a son of the royal house, speak the king's language. And I realized that I, that I had... I had I was misrepresenting my father and I was rebellious in the midst of it. I got home, made, the, made a beeline to the barber, had my hair cut. I wore that suit every day, every Sunday. And I began to purge my vocabulary of slang and I began to learn how to speak like somebody knows what they're talking about. Because I am a member of the household of God. I'm a son of the Most High. We have a Father in heaven who disciplines us, but for our good, dear ones. Not to, not to submit us or subject us to anything but righteousness, rightness. 